Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, may you be uh, enough for us. Uh, You have given it all for us. And in the midst of uh, coming into this holiday season, there is, uh, well, frankly, there can be so much envy uh, for who has and what we may not have. And may we know that in you we, we have enough. We have it all. We have life. We have salvation. We have heaven that awaits. We have abundance here. Let us know that, really know it. Thank you, Jesus, you've given it all. It's in your name we pray, amen. Y'all can turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews towards the back of your Bible. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, I would love for you to have one. There are Bibles uh, on a table in the back, black Bibles. You can take that home. And, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit today about thank you. Two simple words uh, we say all the time. Uh, I say it all the time uh, to y'all. Thank you for being here. You know, we'll say, thank you for coming. Good to see you. Sometimes I wonder, should should we actually say thank you for coming? I mean, that's that's very much, you know, the hospitality state uh, thing to do. But, you know, it's more, you know, like biblically church-related. It's really more... To say like, hey, I'm glad you're here, like for your soul, for your life. If we believe what we believe, then we should be very glad that you're here and not just say, hey, thank you, like it's an honor that you're here. But we'll probably say that anyway, and I'll probably say that anyway. But really, I'm glad you're here. Uh, do we say thank you to God uh, enough in our prayers? You know, I'll be honest, I mean, often my prayer life uh, would not be defined so much by saying thank you. Uh, it's more defined by saying, God, God, help me, uh, or maybe, God, I need this, uh, or God, help this person. And it's just like request after request after request, uh, when really our prayer life should be defined by thank you, Lord, uh, for what you have done uh, in saving me. Uh, if you claim salvation, if you have received Christ, uh, thank you for what you're doing in the world. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing in churches. Thank you for seeing your hand everywhere. Thank you for what you're doing in at least two lives that will celebrate baptism today. Thank you for what you're doing in a family. But often it's just more like, hey, here's another request. Amen? Am I tracking with me? Amen? I hear a yay. Amen or not? Amen, yeah. So in this week of Thanksgiving... And I just, I, I challenge us, me to, I'd implore us to say thank you more to God. And I'd also challenge us to what I call live a thank you life. That's what I want to hit on today. Do you live a thank you life to God? Like, hey, man, I got Jesus, had the moment, um, you know, pennies even dropped. Uh, so do you walk? A thank you life. What I think defines a thank you life would be uh, seeing the little things that we may think of as little things, but actually they're like no accidents in Christianity. So, so the person you bump into at Kroger, uh, there's meaning to that. And maybe you should pray for that person. Or 
the people you encounter at work. Maybe they have a need that you could inquire about. Or just living in, in a joyous thankfulness uh, that you are saved and bound for heaven and, and not, you know, bound for hell. Honestly. And that we live a thank you life. We're like, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I lived, you know, such and such place. You know, beach would be nice. Mountains would be nice. Or, hey, you know, I wish I lived in such and such time. I mean, especially now, it's like the world's going to hell with ice. You know, it'd be nicer to live here. What if, like, there are no accidents in the time and place of where we were born and raised and live. So living a, a thank you life in gratitude that there are no accidents in the little thing. And then a thank you life is willing to take big risks for God. Because you know God's sovereign and He's overall, And you know, you know, Ephesians 2.10, He's created you in Christ Jesus for good works even before you were created. So you're like, I'll take a big risk for God. There is no failure in God's eyes. A thank you life. Anyway, more on that. Uh, I believe a thank you life is fleshed out, not in what I say, but in what God's Word says, specifically this passage uh, that uh, I want to share. Verse 19 through 25. So just a couple verses, six verses. Hebrews 10. Uh, let's look at what a thank you life looks like in the Bible. And what's interesting is a thank you life in the Bible is not individually, it's together as the church. So it says, starting verse 19, uh, therefore, now whenever also in the Bible it says therefore, like it's something big, it's like, hey, please listen to me, okay, in this part. And not me, this is the writer of Hebrews. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, a thank you life. I believe it's in that passage. We'll come back to it, but uh, I want to talk a little about my own life and how I started seeing God at work uh, and moving to try to live by the power of the Spirit. A, a thank you life. Uh, the first was, since it's baptism Sunday, the day of my baptism. Remember it like it was yesterday? Show you my age, May 1987. I was 12, uh, got baptized, you know, and, and how that happened, I actually started listening some to, to the preacher, pastor, uh, a couple months before then. I know, shocker, you know, I was listening, shocker, like you can listen in church. And I started thinking about, like, what's that dude saying? Even though I didn't say dude at that point. I was like, what's this guy saying? And I started asking my mom and dad about Jesus. And that led me to meet with the pastor, pray together, receive Christ, get a date. And I remember, as the water was flooding over me, I remember saying to this point, I was like, Jesus, my life is now yours. 
Now, if I had to say that again, I would say it in a different way because I was still under the impression that my life was my, like my life. And it's not. It's his life to begin with. He created me. So it's not mine, and I would say that to you, like your life is not your life. It's God's. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we can start living a thank you life. But at the point, at 12, you know, and in my country church, and, you know, I'm not going to blame the preacher then, but I was like, this is my life, you know. But now my life is yours. Said that in my mind. My life is yours. And then I started having questions. So some of you that are here, if you're here, like sophomore year, uh, actually freshman year, I had this big time doubt experience. I was like atheist for a day. Seriously. And I mean, I was. I was like, man, what is there? No God. It just like freaked me out. Okay. But went past that. But then I did a trip, uh, first time overseas and uh, went with a school, which, you know, I encourage high school students to do. College students at least do a study abroad for a semester. But I saw, I was in London and Paris, and saw like all these people. And I was like, man, they are definitely not like raised in a church. And, you know, what's going to happen to them? And, you know, this little country boy, you know, raised in church in Myrtle, Mississippi. And I was like, man, you know, what, what's going on? And, how, you know, where are they going when they died? And, and what is all this about? And I started wanting to go deeper. But then I also saw on that trip some historical things uh, from Jesus, uh, from the apostles, from Mary that were like real, like things that they, they wore, like the veil of Mary. And it rocked my world because like, like this, is, this is real. This is history. Stuff I read in the Bible really happened. I mean, I had believed and I was baptized and I said, hey, I'll give my life to you. Then I started like, this really happened. There was a wooden cross. There was an empty tomb. It's real. And yet there are still all these people that don't know. That impacted me. Then I remember, like, you know, like, how does God lead and everything? Sometimes it's just little sentences. Before I even dreamed about going to seminary, and I was living like a $20,000 millionaire, you know? I mean, seriously, I mean, I was, and I was like, you know, just being, you know, trying to be the dude or whatever, and like probably being cheddar, but who cares? But I was like, you know, living that way right after college. And there was a guy I really admired four or five years old, and he went to seminary. I was like, man, only geeks and nerds go to seminary. I mean, for real. And I asked a friend of his, a mutual friend, like, why, why did he go to seminary? And this friend of a friend, he said, you know, he said the weirdest thing. He said, if Christianity is the most important thing in my life, which it is, why would I do all I can to learn as much about Jesus and the cross and the faith? And like that rocked my world. I was like, wow, I really say Christianity is the most important thing in my life. And that doesn't mean everybody should go to seminary, but some definitely should. To be preachers and pastors and missionaries and start churches. And then I went to seminary, and then I saw my wife converted at 26 which is kind of like in the, in the five percentile. You know, usually it's like, you know, you're raised into it or you're baptized early, praise God. But then I was like, wow, this stuff really is legit. Because she went from a, you know, kind of nominal agnostic, um, I'll let, yeah, yeah. I'll let you define that to other folks. I'll stop there. Nominal agnostic to like, you know, let's charge the gates of hell for Jesus. And she still is today if you get to know her. I was like, wow, like this stuff really is legit. This stuff has power. And then I remember going to a church in Boston 
we were up there. And it was like, I met people who really wanted to go to church. And you're like, what? You know, I I mean, I've seen that. Well, what I'm saying is like, it's not like, you know, shiny, happy people look, you know, the glad you're here that sometimes will throw, and I'm guilty as charged. It was like a, uh, it, it was not in a pretty church, okay? And it was like hard pews. Anybody sat in hard pews? Amen. Amen. So like uncomfortable. And you had kneelers that were wood, okay? So when you knelt, it was like, man, pretty bad on your knees. And they were like, you know, a radiance, a joy. And then it was like not everybody who was the same because there was a Portuguese congregation that was worshiping with the Anglo or English or white congregation. So you had this mix of different languages. And they're all like, man, man, you know, why are you here? What's your life about? And they were like really engaging me and interested in me. And I was like, man, I just showed up today, you know. And you're like, like you're really interested. Like you really believe this stuff. Yeah, man, come have lunch with us. We'll be, meet some Portuguese folks. Like, I don't, you know, kind of different. Like, come on, man, it's good. So these things happen and started growing me into like, this is real. And I should be thankful for this. And I should live a life in, in thanksgiving to share this, this gospel truth that changes lives and changes churches. Churches that already exist. Those are some things in my history that like God was just used to, to penetrate, to puncture to bring me a little pain and wrestle like, man, I don't know if I got it all together. Maybe I need to repent and turn to God and say, hey, I need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. But back to Scripture, because Scripture is much more important than anything that this broken dude has to throw or share. Let me break this down a little bit for us, and we'll, we'll close it up because we want to see some baptism. Going back, verse 19, the writer says, Since we have confidence to enter holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his his flesh. Uh, I love these couple verses because first says you can have confidence. And it's not like a cockiness. I I love this phrase, serene confidence. Like you can walk, you can go anywhere. Italy, India, 39211. And Oxford, you can walk in with confidence that by the blood of Jesus, you've been saved. And it's by his blood and by his flesh. And I want to highlight this because often, you know, we kind of look at Christianity and Jesus and the cross as it's kind of like a, a schmaltzy, cheesy, like coffee cup, really nice deal. But instead, it was messy and bloody because he came to save very messy uh, and broken people like you and me. Amen? And we can't really cover it up or gloss it up. It's the way it was. He gave his life, his flesh, his blood to come into our mess and save us. And because of that, we can walk in freedom and confidence and peace. Then it says, and since we have a great peace over the house of God. This is talking about the church. The church, capital C church, also this church, this house. The leader of this church 
is Jesus Christ who paid the price by His blood, by His flesh. So it's not me. It's not even an elder team. The top of the org chart is Jesus. Okay? Not because I said that, because I just said it here in Scripture. He's the head. We follow Him. He guides the way. So then, it's like the writer throws that first, and then notice, he says, let us together. Not let you, or even let me, let us. He says it a couple times here to do a couple things. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed away with pure water. I want to say something to the families getting baptized today. Big Gavin, the Gins. Where's Big Derek? Derek, you're over there. Okay. What we're going to do here is really what Jesus is going to do. Okay? Nobody, nothing can take this away from y'all. Okay? Nothing. Full assurance, it says, that we can be assured. When we're saved, we can walk out. Nobody can take it away from us. And certainly not the devil, who is a defeated foe, even though he's our enemy. Amen? But he's defeated. He cannot take this away. So I don't want y'all to be like me and in ninth grade have a crisis of faith atheist for a day moment. Come back. It's not legit. That was just fantasy in my mind. I was buying into some attacks. Nobody can take this away. Sprinkled clean. Washed with pure water. Your hearts are being washed. They've already been washed. We just get the honor to see it. A little bit, a reflection of it today. Then he goes on, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. You know, I keep reading this this verse this week. Hold fast the confession of our hope. And I I'm reminded of a question I was asked last week in youth because we're talking about all this ISIS deal and martyrs today, which are really happening, and the deal in Paris. And somebody asked, you know, would you, you know, if you're confronted with that, you know, and it's like gun to your head or something worse, because it's probably something worse, pretty painful. You know, do you believe? You know, what are you going to say? And, and I'll be, I've like really thought about that. Really thought about that because I'm not going to stop going. We're not going to stop going to India. Amen. Who's going? To, I'm not going to stop going back to Italy, which is close. And, you know, the world looks like it's going to hell. But, you know, it's always looked like it's going to hell. I mean, the first Christian's the first church. And so there, there has to be something that's, that's bigger than some of the the, the scary bigness that we see out here. And there is something bigger. And that's this hope that we have. And so I, I say this and, and I, I mean, I've like really thought about it. You know, with the wife, with kids, everybody, I'd say, believe in Jesus Christ. Offer him to you. Because I also see my life differently than just like, you know, here today. And, you know, would love to see 90, but, you know, probably won't you know, if I'm honest. But have eternity and being prepared for something eternally. I mean, that's biblical. That's the gospel. It's not just the here and now. And so, yeah, that confession, that hope is stronger than anything else I got. And I'm not going to waver in it and I'm going to cling to it. Even the, 
There is no darkness in Jesus. It's just an illusion. Then he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that. You know, I'd, I'd love to have some stirs in here. And I'm not just talking about the stirring of the pot that we talk about, you know. I'm stir that. Stirring up for good works. Like challenging folks, encouraging folks. Like, hey, you can, if you go to the supermarket, pray with that person in Kroger. Like, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Uh, you can uh, have a friend of a friend of a friend who's in the hospital in Christ, and you can go visit them. Oh, they don't know me. You can go and pray with them. Stir one another up for good works. That's what we need to be doing as a church. After we're baptized, letting our baptism live on, living a thank you life, stir one another up. And then it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day. And the day is, the day will happen when, and I say this over and over again, because in the crazy world, and it is crazy, the Bible says the skies will open up, Jesus will return, and he's riding on a white horse. I believe that's literal. It's not symbolic. That will happen. That's the day. So meet together. Encourage one another. Meet together. It's important to gather. You know, I've said that for, for our church family, for, for those called here. Could you do four things through the end of the year? You know, read our Bible daily. Come worship regularly on Sundays. Next week, Sunday morning or Sunday night or both. Shocker, you know, you could do both. I know, it's a big deal there. Praise God. Be in one group. Give to raise more. To help church planting efforts. Could you do those four things for the rest of the year? Simple, but encouraging. It's a thank you life. Do we live a thank you life? Let me close with just a couple statements, okay? First off, I know we got people going through cancer. Uh, we got people going through job loss. We got people going through divorce. Uh, we, got, we got plenty of folks where the stuff is hitting the fan and it's like, oh, it's like the fan won't stop, man. It's just, it gets worse and worse. Let me say this this is the Bible, this is the gospel, this is Christianity. The worst thing that has ever happened to us has already happened. And that is standing face to face with the living God to face the judgment of our sins. That has already happened with Jesus on the cross. The best thing that will ever happen in our lives has already happened. That is being raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, and knowing there is no condemnation for who we are because of Jesus. You may not have heard the gospel that way, but that is the gospel. That's Christianity. Amen? Amen. So, the worst thing that's, that would ever happen to you, that will, has already happened, the best thing that has ever happened to you, has already happened in Jesus on the cross. And so, when the little whisper comes into our ear from the enemy who is defeated, who says, you're accused because of what you've done, or you're bad, because of what you've done. Or even worse, Lanes, that I won't say here, you're blankety-blank because of what you do, you've done. You could say, you're right. I am guilty as charged. Hey, but I've been executed. Hey, I've been condemned. Hey, I've been crucified. And you know what? You can't re-execute someone who's already been executed. So, 
you can believe in your heavenly Father who says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You are my child. I love you. Blessed are you, my son and my daughter. So when the accuser comes, you can say, you're right. It's already happened. But Jesus has done it. He has paid it all. And my heavenly Father says, you are loved, child, daughter, son. I don't know if y'all get that. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Okay. And amen, amen. It's to the Lord. It's to Jesus for what he's done. So we, we thank God that we can see it in a life played out. But I implore us, like this, this Christmas season, and live a thank you life. For the rest of your life on earth, live a thank you life. Because we have so much to be thankful for. The worst thing didn't happen. The best thing already has. And we do not have to listen to that junk by a defeated enemy. And we can go forward as son and daughter in serene confidence because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what we will see. Thank you for what you are doing in hearts. And I pray that your spirit would lead more to baptism and a thank you life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.